Hello, my friends, Patrick here with a very quick note before we get into the episode. John and I invite you to head to the website, optimalagency.co, and get your HWT score, your health, wealth, and time score. This is a free assessment that will give you a snapshot of where you are today on the road toward your optimal agency. 60 questions will only take you a few minutes. You'll get a sense of where you are strong and where you are weak. Again, optimalagency.co slash HWT. The link is also in the show notes. Thank you in advance, and let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Optimal Agency Podcast. My name is Patrick Cummings. I am joined, as always, by John Gilson. Together with you, we are exploring the ideas of agency, diving deep to discover a set of guidelines on how each of us can best operate in the day-to-day to maximize our personal autonomy, professional freedom, and ultimately our positive impact on the world. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. How are you, John? Having a great morning. Thank you. <laughs> likewise, likewise. Happy to happy to get back at this. Happy to talk to you. Today, we're going to talk about rule number one of time, which is to default to no. And so uh, as we do, or as we have done in the previous episodes where we started to break down these rules. Um, I just want to read through the rules of time just so we can kind of couch them in a the slightly broader context. And then we'll get into maybe a slightly broader conversation about rules, about the rules of time. And then we're going to dive into this particular rule, uh, this rule number one, default to know. So real quick, the rules of time. Number one, default to know. Number two, limit recurring commitments. Number three, preserve unstructured time. Number four, volunteer with caution. Number five, set boundaries and eliminate er interruptions. And number six, respond slowly and carefully. Okay, as we did, uh, or as I've asked at the beginning of these conversations so far, talk to me a little bit about is rule number one, that rule number one, because it's the most important one, as it was in the rules of wealth, or is it like the rules of health where it's like, they're all important. <laughs> where are we on this one? Where, where are we with time? Yeah. On default to know, this is an incredibly important rule. And when I drafted the rules of time, I'm not sure I put it there intentionally uh, as the, you know, the quote unquote God rule, but I think it might be. And uh, I reserve the right to backpedal hard on that <laughs> statement, uh, but it seems to be the thing for me that uh, is the most important as we go through the rules of time. And it's just related to one concept, which is that time is our uh, most permanently limited resource. And so as we talk about it, you know, we'll, we can probably connect those two ideas. Awesome. Cool. So as we get into this, I wanted to start with a quote from James Clear. Um, he wrote an article called The uh, Ultimate Productivity Hack is Saying No. So right in line with what we're saying. Here's a quote from him. I'm just going to put it on the table and see where the conversation goes, and then we'll flow into this. Uh, this is from James Clear. No is a form of time credit. You retain the ability to spend your future time however you want. Yes is a form of time debt. You have to pay back your commitment at some point. And so give me your thoughts on that, and let's let's break in or let's bust into this conversation about why maybe this is the, the most important rule of time. So James Clear, in my mind, is saying that uh, when I say no to something, I'm retaining the optionality on the future that would have been used by a yes. Yep. And as I take it back to, you know, how, how do people think and how do people feel, uh, especially when we're young, when we get an invitation, uh, whether it's social, whether it's professional, 
if we analyze it, we tend to do it through this filter. We say, I'm not doing anything now, so I guess, Mm -hmm. yes, right? I don't have plans on Saturday night, so no problem, let's do that, right? So it's kind of the, there is not currently a better alternative that is known. But what I believe Clear is expressing is that what that no does is it allows you to, you may not have a better alternative now, but if one comes along, you do have the opportunity to grab it. Mm Right. And I would also trace back to our conversation about keeping the main thing the main thing uh, and having that filter of defaulting to no and saying, well, is this thing that I'm saying yes to in service of my personal mission? Right. If it's not, I'm going to default to no. If it's not, I'm going to preserve that that time credit that is no, as as Mr. Clear expresses it. You know, and on the obverse, he says, well, yes, uh, is a form of time debt. In other words, I now have committed to something in the future that I must execute, I must perform. In other words, yes is an obligation, mm-hmm. right? No is freedom from obligation. And uh as I think of that, you know, you look at saying yes to something at work, you look at saying yes to another project, saying yes to helping a colleague, saying yes to your significant other, saying yes to things that you really want to do, but that aren't in line with your your main thing. Uh, and he couldn't be more succinct or correct that, hey, eventually you're going to have to pay that back by doing that thing. And that time will be forever have been occupied Buy that thing and nothing else. Mm-hmm. So, in your answer there, you know, I love the the bring back to the idea of the main thing. It necessitates in order to be able to say no, yes or no to things based on does this does this move me towards whatever that main thing is. It necessitates you know what that main thing is, and so, or at least you have a sense of it, right? You have a sense of like, is this going to move me in the in, in at least the direction that I feel like is the direction I want to move. And so it strikes me that, or, or maybe the question is, is, is our default to yes, which I think we could argue that is most people's default mode in this kind of context, simply because we don't have that main thing to use as a decisional filter, or is it something else that that pushes us towards yes, even when no is probably the right answer more times than not? Yeah, uh, I think your your question encapsulates the answer, which is that defaulting to yes in my mind is a couple things. One is the ubiquitous fear of missing out, mm-hmm. and I think that's self-explanatory. The second is the fear of tribal rejection, i.e., if I say no to this person that I care about, am I in fact reducing my standing in the tribe? And the third is. I don't have a better alternative, as I discussed kind of just a moment ago, I don't have a better alternative. And so default to no is the privilege of maturity. So when you're, when you're, let's say you're 20 mm-hmm. or 22, let's say you've just graduated from college, you probably should not obey this rule in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Because you don't have, you haven't earned the right by having enough life experience to know what your main thing is, Mm -hmm. to your point. You should probably default to yes. You should try a lot of different things. You should hold them loosely, but you should default to yes. Try a lot of different things. Find out if you can get closer to your 
main thing. And I think it, for adults, you know, uh, and not that you're not an adult at 22, but you know, you get to be more of an adult as you adopt more responsibility, and that tends to happen with middle age and beyond. Uh, as you have taken those steps and ex- you know explored by moving. You'll start to understand, maybe you still don't know what your main thing is, but you know what's closer to it and what's further away, right? So if you were like, John, I want you to walk to Washington State, okay? Well, we're we're in Maine. I need to go west, mm-hmm. right? And I don't need to know that I'm going to Washington. I need to know that I'm going west when I get to the next intersection, yep. right? And so I think that default to no says, okay, well, if I'm on that walk and somebody says, hey, do you want to play baseball? Well, no, I'm going to Washington, Mm -hmm. right? I'm going west. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so do you need to have that fully defined to default to no? No. Do you need to have some concept of the direction you're going? Yes. Mm -hmm. Where, how, how or where do the other elements of agency factor into that in terms of understanding the main thing, right? Health and wealth. I imagine that those two serve, I don't imagine, they, they even if you don't know what the main thing is, even if you're 22 and you're like, if you recognize the value of agency, the, the value of this idea of optimal agency, you can use health and wealth as a proxy for some end state result, right? In our, in our parlance, maybe that impact that we want to have. But you can say, is this going to get me healthier or less healthy? Is this going to get me wealthier or less wealthy? And absent of nothing else, if you use those as the proxy questions, you're going to, I would argue, move in the right direction as it relates to this yes and no. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. If you look at not having a defined end state and what you're trying to do is create optionality slash agency slash autonomy, right? And so when I go to create those things, I know that having more free cash flow versus less is a benefit. Having more unstructured time and open time on my calendar rather than less is a benefit, right? And I know that being able to move around the world of my own volition is is more of a benefit than less. So uh, yeah, in the absence of that main thing, right? You can ask yourself those those questions around health, wealth, and time, and use them as a decisional filter. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to read a little section from uh, the book Essentialism by Greg McEwen. Uh, he has this chapter really early in the book. I think it's maybe second or third chapter called "The Power of Choice," and I, I was rereading it in anticipation of this conversation. And it struck me that this is this is a big overlooked element of this yes and no. The first thing you have to recognize is that. It's a choice, and you then have power over that choice. So I'm just going to read a quick little section. For too long, we have overemphasized the external aspect of choices, uh, our options, and underemphasized our internal ability to choose our actions. This is more than semantics. Think about it this way. Options, things, can be taken away, while our core ability to choose, free will, cannot be. And so what I liked about that is, is to actually bring us one step before the yes or no is, should I say yes or should I say no? You should recognize that you are making choices all of the time. And often those choices are in the in the manner or the form of a yes or a no. And so talk to me a little bit like there's, there you know, we use this word default. Default, yes, default, no. To me, the first thing to do is to recognize we got to take a step back and break the habit of default either and say, okay, let me actually recognize that these are choices and that therefore I can take specific actions with each one of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I would argue that default is not a negative word. Mm -hmm. What default does is it removes the cognitive load of decision-making. And so what McEwen is saying is that you are making a decision with a choice. It's an action, right? Or he's saying that yeah, kind of that choice itself uh, is a thing, but you're taking an action when you're saying yes or no. Uh, so what I want to do is if I don't know and I don't have the I don't have the reserves behind me to make a thoughtful decision, the default is the decision that gets made. Mm-hmm. Right. And all we're really arguing here is that if you are given the choice between preserving your time and not, mm-hmm. between taking the action of doing the thing or not doing the thing, you should take the option. You should take the option of saying no. And that default is what will save you that future time, will give you that time credit that that James Clear says. And I think this gets really related to the idea of um, the enthusiastic yes. And you've probably mm, heard this yep, with, yes, with or, Derek, yep. Derek, Derek Sivers. Yep. Right? If it's, it's not a hell yes, it's If a no. it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And I've heard that from his his book. Uh, and I've heard that through you know Ferris talking about him as well. I think uh, the book is called Anything You Want. That's right. Something like that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Great book. Great book. Really short too. You can read it in like an hour. Yeah. Love that about I love that about Sivers' stuff. Um, but it, the default is also just that idea that in the absence of thought, it's a no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the in the presence of thought, right, it might become a yes. And I might, I might get there, but it needs to be an enthusiastic yes, potentially. Uh, I was listening to Jenny Blake the other day, who's a podcaster in the in the time space. And she was talking about that kind of that same idea that if there is equivocation in your decision, you've likely already made that decision and you are unwilling to acknowledge it because of other forces. So I'm unwilling to acknowledge that my saying, mm, I'm not sure, is actually me saying, I don't have the language at my disposal right now to avoid reducing my standing in the tribe or dealing with my own <laughs> my own FOMO, right? Yeah. But the answer is, in fact, no. And so there's some courage in the default to no as well that is uh, could be perceived as antisocial, right? Mm-hmm. It's antisocial to default to no, but it's on the, the virtuous side, the shadow side of that mm-hmm. is there's courage in it. And you don't have to say it. Yeah. Badly, mm-hmm. right? Um, but if you run it through that that default filter, I think that's that's right. And you know the distinction that McEwen is making here, um, I'm not sure that I exactly get to it mm-hmm. um, because he says it's not semantic, and it sure feels like <laughs> it is. Yep. Uh, usually, when you have to say this isn't semantics, it's usually like right on the fence. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, this might be semantics. And of course, when you're an author, a writer, a speaker, I mean, semantics is your stock in trade. And so it's it's fairly difficult not to get there. But I, I think what he's saying, and one of the thing, conversations you and I have had that I think is really great, we forget the things that we are doing are choices. Yep. Like you do have a choice whether to go to that meeting or not. You do have a choice whether to go to that social event or not. You do have a choice whether to say yes or no to your partner. You know, and often we set up these imaginary consequences of that no that 
Our haven't yet and are, are imaginary. They, <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they haven't yet manifested, yeah. right? And so the saying no is an act of courage because you now have to face an unknown consequence. And uh, this yeah. is a, a quote that's probably directionally accurate, which is my way of saying this is not exact, <laughs> but it's the idea, uh, which is that you are free to make any choice that you like. You are not free from the consequences yeah. of that choice. Right. And I think we often think of the consequences before we think of the the right the reason that we we have that choice in the first place. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about the relationship between our three primary aims here of health, wealth, and time. Mm. What happens when we default to yes when we shouldn't? What what are the negative ramifications of that on our health and our wealth? And flipping flipping that, what are the positive ramifications on our health and our wealth when we do Maybe when we are more conscious about whether or not we are saying yes or no to things. Yeah. Uh, so let's start with health. Let's start with the impact of defaulting to no on your health. Um, I am very susceptible personally to stress, uh, specifically stress from overload. Yep. Too many people asking too many things of me. Yep. And uh, I found that that is something that if I'm working for myself in, a, in an environment with a lot of agency, I can control. But if I'm working for somebody else in a corporate environment where I have more and more colleagues and I'm amassing more and more influence and power, uh, power defined poorly there, I guess, by you know your, your web of social connection, that the more that I would say, yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do that. You get into this state where you wake up in the morning and you literally have no clear map of your day. Mm -hmm. How do I deal with this? What am I doing for communication? What am I doing for action? And I mean, how many times have you heard a knowledge worker say, I don't actually know when I do work mm -hmm. because I'm meeting with somebody else. And of course, the most fastidious folks, well, then what are they doing? They're working at night after hours. Or they're working before hours, or they're working when the kids are asleep, mm -hmm. you know. And so, what you're actually doing is you're allowing that thing that you said yes to mm. to take a larger and larger swath of the day. And so, that opportunity cost, you might get richer, you might get promoted mm -hmm. if you say yes at work. But I think actually the opposite happens. Mm. That if you say yes to everybody, they're like, "Oh, cool that that." man or woman has no boundaries and they do good work. And so I'm going to dump it on them. They'll get the thing done. Right. But what default to know even at work uh, does is it says I'm a sovereign individual who makes choices as to what I do and don't do. And I'm going to protect the gestalt. Right. So you're saying I'm going to say yes to this, but by definition, what that means is I'm not going to cook dinner for my family or myself. I'm not going to work out this morning. I'm not going to go to the social engagement. Right. I'm not going to read a book. I'm not going to do nothing. I'm not going to sit in front of the fire. And, uh, so there are profound consequences from defaulting to yes in terms of your health. And I would argue that stress is a uh, keystone habit, mm -hmm. right? Like exercise is a keystone habit. A lot of things fall from it. So uh, if I'm stressed out, I'm more likely to attempt to quiet my brain, which can't handle all the inputs I've given it through all these yeses with alcohol and drugs, mm -hmm. uh, with sugar. I'm more likely to try and, and quiet it by uh, 
online shopping, right? Getting on there and saying, you know what? It'll give me that dopamine hit and feeling of satisfaction I need that I can't get from work anymore is buying the thing on West Elm, right? I've never bought anything on West Elm. I don't, yeah, it's very expensive, I hear, you know, um, but you can see how that yes cascades and, you know, how does the no cascade to your benefit. Well, no can always cascade to your detriment, mm-hmm. right? You could say no to the thing that would have turned out to have been brilliant and changed your whole life course. But the brilliant thing about that is you'll never know. So it doesn't really matter, yep. right? So when I say no to the job offer that is 70% of the way there, what I do is I leave myself open for the job that's 85% of the way there, mm-hmm. right? And when I say no to, uh, I might have sacrificed wealth to do that. But again, wealth isn't necessarily the point. The gestalt is the point. Do I have enough money? Do I have enough health? Do I have enough time? And so if I'm thinking about balancing all of those things, no to anything that's going to push that balance off and I know is going to push that balance off is an easy default. Mm -hmm. I'd like you to come work for my startup. We work 60 hour weeks here. We'll pay you half a million dollars, Mm -hmm. right? I may have gone ahead and made myself tremendously wealthier, but I know through that choice, I now have my health is being going to be sacrificed to stress and my time by definition has been granted to this, this offer. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a buddy who I do some work with and he started, um, started a new job, really excited about it. Uh, small company kind of going through a lot of things and he found himself being the catch all for all the things that nobody else could do or wanted to do. And, and so within, and this is in the fitness space. And so within three months, he found himself not sleeping very much and, and not working out that often. Mm-hmm. And, and I sat down with him and, and basically what I said is no, Nobody wants you to continue down this road because not only will this company no longer have you, but you will not, you will not do the job that you came here to do. And he, he has since started to kind of wrangle that in and, and redefine it. And so I, I just bring that up to say, it feels very hard, especially in, in the context of him, but it, almost any job, you don't want to be the person who says no to the boss or anybody else says, Hey, could you handle this thing? Even if it's not within the scope of like why you're there. And it feels like, well, I have to say yes to everything because I don't want to be the person who says no to all the things, except he was quite frankly doing a bad job of the thing he was supposed to be doing a good job at. Mm-hmm. And so not only was he not not doing what he came there to do, he was not happy about what he was doing and he, he was doing and, and everything was suffering because of it. And so once you start to recognize that actually the easy answer in the moment of saying yes, I'll say yes to that. Sure. I don't know how to do that, but I'll figure that out doesn't even get you to the place you want to get, which is like, I want everybody to know that I'm a team player and I work real hard. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, we just look at, well, is the thing getting done that we hired that person to do? And the answer is six, it's 50% being done. And so you're not only, you're not only, you're not even getting the benefits really of, well, gosh, he's so nice to work with because he says yes to everything. And, you know, you're confusing competence with compliance, (laughs) Yeah. right? And the world doesn't reward compliance, not long-term. Me being agreeable is not a rewardable quality. In fact, people who are disagreeable tend to make more money, Mm -hmm. 
right? Uh, and that's that's actually a fact, mm. you know. And so uh, what you're doing is saying, okay, I'm going. Your friend, uh, your client is saying, I'm sa- I'm sacrificing my competence, mm-hmm. consciously or unconsciously, because I think the attribute the world is going to reward is my compliance. Mm. It's not true. Mm-hmm. Right. And so not only do we need to counter and say, I'm not going to default to yes, I'm going to default to no. We also need to shift our mindset to say, no is the answer that opens the negotiation. Mm-hmm. No is the answer that says, okay, my boss, I can't do this for you. Mm-hmm. Here's why. And I think it's really important to explain yourself really clearly. Here's why I can't say yes to that. Here's what I'm doing instead. Now, you know, there's often that advice given that, okay, well, you've given no, now, right, now go ahead and propose an alternative, Mm -hmm. right? The alternative might be, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Uh, I think there are three people that are better suited for that. Would you like me to take this off your plate and ask them if they are available to do that and report back to you, Mm -hmm. right? At which point it will be your problem again. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it opens the negotiation. No to a job offer opens the negotiation often. Yep. I mean, sometimes it just shuts the door. Yep. But I've been shocked at, you know, as I acquire skills in, in competency in the world, how often no is met with a, yeah, but can we talk about this? Mm-hmm. You know, where you have the chance now to mold the world to the way that you want it to mm-hmm. be. Uh, so I'm betting that. No is not only preserving time in the future, it actually has the ability to increase your wealth and autonomy simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Can you tell the story in uh, in whatever broad details you want of the few months that as we've spent building this project up, you've had a few opportunities, a few, quite frankly, a few offers that would have pretty darn close come to negating your ability to or our ability to work on this particular project this this idea of optimal agency can you just give us a, a little bit of a sense of like what that actually looks like in real life in your thought process of because you were really balancing this health wealth and time uh uh thought process in thinking about do i say yes to this or do i say no to this mm-hmm mm-hmm so uh, the first came when I was working uh, at my former employer. Uh, a recruiter reached out and said, will you talk to this company? And the company was a large uh, New York City-based fitness uh, company that does subscription-based fitness classes. And uh, I was really, at, at first, I was excited to have been wanted. I was starting to feel at my current employer like I was, I had been diminished, mm-hmm. right? There had, uh, my power had been essentially shrunk. And so I, I jumped at this opportunity to speak to this recruiter and they, they told me about the job and they said, will you do a preliminary interview? And I was of the mind that I'll always take the call about a different employment opportunity. I'll at least talk to you about it. And so they they outlined the position, and the position was a bit lower than uh, what I was looking for in terms of um, pay scale and title. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really sure I wanted the job because I would have had to go to New York City, which is uh, like nails on a chalkboard in its existence for for me, just you know personally the way my mind works. I would have had to go there constantly, and uh, so I just went back to them. And I said, you know, thank you very much. I'm not interested. And I had contact with the employer at that point, and the employer came back and said, can you tell us why not? Mm -hmm. And I made the mistake of saying, of course, I'll tell you why not. I'd be happy to. Mm -hmm. you know. And so I got on with them, and I didn't exactly tell the truth, Mm -hmm. right? 
Uh, I told the truth in the aspect that I didn't want a director level position. I was like, this is too junior for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I also said something that I would say uh, isn't strictly true, which is that, uh, and frankly, I I never want to be that guy, but I did. And I said, uh, I feel that with the majority of your team being in New York City and me being in Northern New Hampshire, that I will fail to integrate into your culture. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, that is what it is. And they said, well, Okay. Um, how about we make the position more senior? We'll make you a VP instead of a director. And uh, don't worry about the culture. We'll fly you in here. We'll do a deep dive. You can you can fly in. You never have to drive in. You'll stay in Brooklyn with all of us, and and we'll kind of you know we'll talk. And I said, well, okay, that sounds pretty good. And so I got a second panel interview with this company. They literally brought 12 people to this interview. It was me and 12 people. And I was to give them a presentation on how I would uh, improve their company. And so I did, and they were blown away, and they sent me an offer. They sent me an offer for an amount of money that I've never made in my life. It was a quarter million dollars a year uh, to, to come do this job. And I sat down and I said to myself, There are things about this that excite me. I get to build something. I get to be senior. My power gets recognized. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to go to New York, and I don't actually need that money. Mm -hmm. So that was the catalyst for me, even though I was still working for an employer, another employer, understanding that I had, in fact, reached agency. So that was the moment. I was like, wait, I don't need the money. I don't want to go. I've already said no once. When I said no, and this was shocking to me, they came back and were just like, what do you want? You can have it, right? I was like, wait, what? That wasn't supposed to work that way. Yeah. you know. Um, but I don't want to give up my time. I don't want to leave my paradise of Northern New Hampshire mountain biking and skiing. I don't want to say no to my project that I want to do, that I want to tell people about. And so uh, that was that catalyst. And I made that mistake several more times because over the next subsequent several months, we had more recruiters reach out. Yep. And there were permutations on that story where they would either offer a lot of money or an exciting opportunity or a company I genuinely wanted to work at. Yep. But I understood what my main thing was at that point, and so I could say no. And it wasn't easy. It's not easy when somebody flashes a lot of money at you or a title and power, right? Or simply when somebody says, I need you, mm -hmm. you know? But I, I think I learned for the first time what the real power of no is, mm. and you're listening to it. Yeah. Last thing I want to talk to you about, and we've hinted at it a little bit, is the reason that we often, especially in small things, the reason we default to yes versus default to no is we don't want to be the person who says no. We don't want to, we don't want to, because for whatever reason, we think the story we tell ourselves is that person's going to just think I'm selfish or that person's going to think I'm uninterested in them or uninterested in what they're doing or whatever it might be. So let's talk just a little bit about where selfishness and selflessness come into the come into this conversation come into this particular decision yeah and this is where i think you get into like some zen cones like <laughs> some cones where you're like uh being selfish in the short term is, is what allows you to be unselfish in the long term yep. uh saying no now gives you the freedom to make a bigger impact 
later. Yeah. Uh, and it gives you, it leaves you free to contribute to what your highest purpose is. I think as we, if we do honest self-assessments, there are things we're good at and there are things we are not good at. And we often will say yes to things that would be better done by someone else, mm. genuinely better done by someone else, not because of our ego, but because of a an, a bald look at the facts, <laughs> Yeah, right? Like you probably shouldn't hire me to work in hospice because I don't have the emotional intelligence yeah. to do it, yeah. right? And the stress of watching someone die would carry me away from my ability to be present with them. Yeah. Right. I'm not the best person for the job. If my mom came up and said, someone you care about, an inserted relative is in hospice and you need to take care of them. Right. My instinct would be to say, yes, because someone needs me. Someone needs me in literally a life or death situation. Right. And someone I care about deeply has asked me to do it, but I objectively am not the right person. And so if I say yes, if I'm what I'm actually doing is harming. Mm -hmm. The collective, I'm harming that person who could have had a better caretaker, right? Saying yes to the thing that you are not interested in is as good as saying, yeah, I'm going to come and give you 50%. How's that sound? Mm -hmm. You know, and by the way, that's how I found out that you can reject employers kindly. Mm -hmm. Say, would you like 50% of what, what I'm going to mm -hmm. give you? Mm -hmm. But by recognizing what's your highest purposes and what your skills are and are not, you can tailor your yeses and nos to this scenario. And if you think about yourself as a caretaker and shepherd of your, your local version of humanity, what you should always be doing is giving it your highest and best. That's rarely done by spraying yeses around like a machine gun. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good place to stop. Um, that was our first rule of time. We will continue in future episodes to break down these rules of times, uh, uh, rule of time, as we are also the rules of health and the rules of wealth. If you are interested and curious about those, be sure you are subscribed or following wherever you are listening to this. And uh, John and I will be back soon with another episode of Optimal Agency. One more note, one more invitation before we go, a reminder to get your HWT score to figure out where you are today on the road to Optimal Agency. OptimalAgency.co slash HWT is where you can find it. The link is also in the show notes. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.